0: And we're live with our 192nd episode of Absolute AppSec. I'm Ken Johnson at CK Tricky on Twitter, joined by my co-host Seth Law at Seth Law on Twitter. Seth, say hi.
1: Hey, everyone. Welcome back to another holiday episode of Absolute AppSec. Ken and I are uh, both wearing our celebratory log for shell sweaters. In memoriam, um, or in, yeah, of the, of the time that everyone spent last year talking about Log4j. And now it just doesn't matter anymore. So, you know, remember that for the next uh, branded vulnerability com- that comes out, right? Um, we've got a, quite a bit to talk about today. Uh, first and foremost, though, from a reminder perspective, Ken and I will be at uh, CactusCon the end of January. We're doing a workshop. It'll be a limited version of the secure code review. Mainly we'll just be tearing apart different code bases, whatever people want to work on. We'll have some people going around. We'll be implementing the process, but we won't be diving quite as far into the technical details about the secure code review process. Um, Otherwise, we have quite a few um, calls for trainings that we've submitted to over the last few weeks um for the spring i know there's been some interest in us uh, getting back over to europe as well that is going to happen we've got a lot of big announcements that will be coming the start of the year as far as different training opportunities in different places it's just a matter of us getting them on the calendar and we'll start to notify the community once we have those in front of us um yeah otherwise i i mean i know we're we will be back at colonel con as well right like that that's a pretty solid yes for us um but yeah, Ken, is there anything else that you've got on your yeah on your radar that you were that you wanted to jump into first off?
0: No, no. I think next the new year will bring some uh, interesting changes, as you know, uh, which mm-hmm. I'll 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 tease now, but not not discuss too too much into. But yeah, the new year is going to bring some interesting changes, and uh, well, there's more to report on that uh, shortly. But in the meantime, I think you've covered it all. We, are we talking about DEFCON yet, or no? actually i Uh, I don't
1: know no i like they haven't said anything yet right like i mean we we taught at defcon this last year um there's going to be other opportunities coming up uh once we know exactly what those are and they're being
0: tweeted out and like they're formal then we'll start letting people know uh oh i did want to mention sorry the reason i also mentioned that things are coming next year is that that's why i've been so quiet on slack i apologize folks who are participating in slack our slack has been awesome there's been a lot of chatter and stuff going on not just i mean i say chatter it's actually like useful links useful information useful questions and answers uh it's been awesome i just i haven't been participating as much and uh you know it'll all be evident soon as to why but uh anyways um just want to say it's really cool to see all the activity in there and uh if you're not in our slack you should definitely hop in our slack um and also use it as a resource to ask questions uh we do have a jobs channel if you wanna you know post jobs there as well um and uh I think the other thing too is this year we're we're gonna be okay with like uh I, well I mean you know correct me if I'm wrong here, Seth, but we're gonna be more open to uh corporate sponsors and things like that, and lastly, I guess yeah. the other thing to mention is that we do have three uh guests scheduled in the new year already uh confirmed dates and everything like that, so you probably see that already uh all um staged up on our YouTube channel. So anyways, not to like spend too much time on all this promotion stuff, but a lot of information to get out. We haven't been on the air much last uh month. So yeah, good times.
1: Yeah. Yeah. But if uh you or your company is interested in sponsoring the bo- podcast, um please reach out to us. Just info at dot Um otherwise, right, like you, you talk about the Slack channel. Uh maybe we can start there. Cole had a great article that he's been posted. I know he's been asking for feedback on, um, blog posts and how to actually start that process. And I know you and I have kind of been through this in the past, uh, obviously like we do the podcast nowadays, we've got this, the blog that's associated with it, that we pop stuff up on once in a while, but it's not a regular thing. Um, maybe it should be, uh, maybe it'll start to be next year. That's still in the, in the works. But, um, you know, if I were to ask you, right, like what, what is it that you look for in a security blog? Um, and we'll post Cole's blog up here shortly, but what is it that you look for or like, what would you be trying to achieve in a blog? I guess. Yeah. Let's start there.
0: Actually, I think what Cole mentioned in his, I don't know, like maybe the first couple of paragraphs is pretty, pretty spot on. Like he said, he was looking for content on Golang security and that, uh, what he found was marketing hype, right? Like check your dependencies. I mean, people always seem to care a lot about dependencies, not to say they shouldn't, but, you know, that's usually what it is, like input validation and dependencies and all the same stuff that you hear from, like, every talk or OWASP conversation from, you know, here to. And anyways, whatever. So I think that's what I'm looking for is is what he's going for here, which is not just have generic information, but he he said specifically he was looking for Golang security information, and that's all he found. Um, so in here, he's, he gives us some, like, pretty specific language pretty language specific um tools and then like why you would use those um think you know what what uh again specifically could go wrong um in like error handling like what what is practically or yeah i guess practically been seen by by him and uh anyways i just think that you know non-generic pretty useful and highly specific specific information um this is what we should be going for here so the by the way there was a question here on uh how can we get those log for shell sweaters i i will say robert reichel uh who is actually on the github red red team was the creator of these sweaters i will ask him um if there's going to be a second run but uh <laughs> yes it, it was a it was a limited time run so uh i don't know is the answer okay.
1: <laughs> it, it it was at the height of the of log4j and uh yeah he decided to put it together so if you if you saw it then it was great um or you were able to pick one up i'm not sure if it, it's still available well yeah if you ask him though that'd be good yeah i i mean um as far as like blog goes blogging goes right um I do like you see this quite often, right like on security blogs or like security consulting or marketing blogs or whatever it is it's the it's the generic content it's specifically what you and Cole are talking about right that um, it doesn't actually answer any questions or it's just a rehash of you know, somebody else's talk or what everybody else is actually going through. And I, and I don't want to discount the, the usefulness of some of that, right. If you've never come across any of that, any of the instructions for Golang security or whatever it else, whatever else it is. Um, But I know personally, I have a tendency to skip those pretty quick uh, because when I'm looking for content, just like Cole, just like, you know, you do when you're, uh, performing some sort of a code review or you're doing an assessment, I want deep level or I want like specific advice as to how security is implemented in those languages. Um, and so I'm going to be, I'm going to start digging in for very specific items. So I posted the blog up there. I mean, this one specifically is on Golang security, right. And it he wants to go further, like deeper into like uh, yeah, defer statements. I mean, actual like programming constructs that are used as opposed to just like validate the inputs. Right. I mean, we all know that we have to validate input. That's, uh, you know, a core belief of the OS top 10, I guess I should say, or a core value of the OS top 10, whatever. Right. But um, those, those language specific blogs and blog posts, Are money right like when it really comes down to it and this is part of the reason that last episode i was starting to push that dev.to as well ken because i was seeing more and more of that sort of advice there um uh, what used to be practical practical dev but now is dev.to just Mm -hmm. articles for developers on how to do different things right
0: Um, yeah i've been reading those recently actually on um just like a lot of well a lot of things, (laughs) which, uh, but, but yeah, some of it's more about system tracing and things like that, some fun stuff. But anyways, there's a lot of helpful articles on there for sure. Um, yeah. And you know, this is the thing, man, like you have kind of two routes that you can go. I mean, well, there's probably more than that, but two that pop up to in my mind. So one is review a bunch of applications with, with a, that are written and then like, you know, the same language and framework, and then you get to become the expert because you see enough patterns and how things are written and then you get to, you know, kind of point out the anti-patterns. And frankly, that's kind of what I did with Ruby on Rails, right? Like, that's what a few of us did. Um, yeah. We just looked at, like, enough application code that was written in Ruby and Rails to be able to say, hey, here's what people typically do and here's where things typically go wrong. So that's one one way is just review a ton of different applications all built on the same stuff and you get to know what the anti-patterns are uh, as well as patterns. The other, the other way is to actually read someone else who's done all that and just posted it. And that's pretty much what Cole's doing. And that's what I look for personally. I mean, there's obviously other stuff as well, but when we're talking about like language and framework specific security things that's yeah that's exactly what i want to see so it's pretty dope i know he talked about defer statements he talked about exception handling and it's going to be a series of things and that's just kind of where he's uh starting
1: so yeah no it's yeah yeah. nobody uses go fuzzing
0: (laughs) Uh, yeah Yeah. is that you're uh, right is it go fuzz or go fuzzing is that what he said
1: yeah. Like, I, I mean, there's a, you know, there's automated testing, there's fuzzing support in the standard go tool chain. And there's a section that he goes into here. Right. And, and like, you know, if I, if I look into fuzzing in most uh applications, it just doesn't exist. Right. But um mm. you know, that it's funny that he calls that out. It's towards the end of the article right before he wraps things up. Right. Is that um Yeah. Yeah. Most Golang code bases he reviews use the standard unit testing library, but haven't adopted property based fuzzing. Yes. And I know this is one. I mean, this is something that uh, Stefan Logico and I harp on all the time, too, is that we have fuzzing libraries that have been built out but we very rarely use that, especially in the like this. Uh, like the web or the app space, as opposed to like the, I mean, maybe we do that more on C libraries or large, like you know, places like Apache or Mozilla, right? Like with Firefox and other things, that they have their libraries that are are their fuzzing pipelines for actually fuzzing different inputs and everything. When it comes to you know releasing products, but we just don't do that in in general in applications for some reason. We've just never gotten to that point. That. I liked that call out. Sorry, I'm just going off apparently today, Ken. That's all.
0: No, no, no. I mean, it's a good. It's a good. Oh, well, I mean, it's a good point. Yeah. Um, well, and,
1: and so the thing about fuzzing and using those sorts of just like throwing everything at a specific library or specific function is that it shows you ways that the application that can fail that are unexpected. Right? You're looking for edge cases and a lot of the testing that we do as developers is functional testing where we're just looking for does it do what I intended right um, and a lot of the security problems that exist are out there because we don't think about the edge cases right like we don't think about we get our functional our functionality working the business case is solved and we move on as opposed to uh, you know, actually looking at it holistically, even when we do the threat model, right? Like we're very set in our ways, which is the reason doing this property based fuzz testing will throw the kitchen sink at any function at any library or any input and see what falls out. Right. And it may not result in a, you know, an RCE, but at the very least it's going to show us how resilient our code is to unexpected things. Um, yeah. And now, now I'm going off. I'm sure we could get logical in to, to speak about it as well. But uh, it's a good call out there. But I, And I think um, from a security perspective, especially the ProdSec, AppSec side of things, it's a place that we need to start moving in order to identify those vulnerabilities sooner in the pipeline, right? There was that most recent uh, ping vulnerability that came out this last week that's been in there for, what, 24 years, right? Um did you see that one Ken?
0: No, I didn't see that at all.
1: Oh, you didn't. Let me let me pull that up. Um I think that's what it is. Yep. Um somebody fuzzed ping and this is why I just started thinking about it when it came up.
0: Um, What's ping written in? Is that C or what is that? Yeah. Yeah, I'm it's C. Yep. Uh,
1: 1983, right? Um here you go.
0: Here's the blog post about it. <laughs> Jesus that's that's more yeah. than twenty four twenty four years brother that's yeah it's almost forty
1: that's, that, that, that that's older than i am yeah um but well, okay. that's not so, how older than funny. you
0: are that's, <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry all right <laughs> all right all right we'll be easy on that today it's it's <laughs> it's the holidays
1: come on man <laughs> um <laughs> why are you so mean <laughs> Anyways, all right. But yeah. Correct. Right. <laughs> um, but yeah. sure so, I mean, thing. All right. It's your fit. Fa- yeah, exactly. So, right? Like he ran just AFL fuzz against, you know, so he built mm. test.c to do uh ping, right? Um and ran it against ping and it crashes, right? And so it's and it wasn't even if you look at the code that he put together there, it's very simple. Right. It's basically just creating a file, um, you know, with a certain amount of content in it and calling ping using that file. Right. And it crashes. Mm. Interesting. And yeah, it, which,
0: yeah, that yeah, is a pretty I, I trivial mean, buffer. It, overflow. I'm like, I'm not a buffer flow overflow expert by any means. And this, even to me, it's like pretty obvious right away what we're looking yeah. at here. Um, yep. Wow.
1: And it has to do with this PR pack library. Right. And, um, you know, and so like after it crashed and, you know, just against ping itself, he was looking at the library specifically and, you know, figuring out what was going on in order to create the, you know, the actual exploit or the actual, yeah, the bug against it. Right. To find out where it was exactly in the code. Um, But that's one that's lived for, you know, 20, you know, how many years i guess he says 24 because they've actually they actually replaced that library in 19 where he calls it out somewhere right like um yeah they rewrote 2019 citing alignment problems but yeah that pr pack i yeah apparently 24 years was when it was actually in place but yeah uh, yeah i, I yeah and and this is it, right like if you have time to actually go after some of these older utilities, this older code that's out there that we still depend on, I'm sure that there's more of this that exists uh and it's mainly because we've changed um technologies platforms like the 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 i mean the core computing principles stay the same, but we have changed frameworks, we've changed languages we've um stepped back we've stepped out right like it's just like the level of abstraction has gone up and it's gotten more and more complex which we didn't always intend or the developers didn't always intend these tools to be in place you know in 30 years in 40 years even though we still depend on them pretty heavily Um, and so that hence the reason why this brings us back to fuzzing right is hey right Let's make sure it's as resilient as pro as possible. That's something that you can put into your you know CI CD pipeline. Uh, like any testing, it takes time. Um, and there's you're you're not gonna get away from it. But any utility, any app that is concerned with security probably should take have that in its tool belt.
0: Yeah, and it's not like you're gonna um the thing I guess there's a lot of stuff to to dissect here, but the the first point about the speed issue with CI C D is like yeah, you're probably not running this on every build to production, so it's it's not speed shouldn't be as much of a concern. I wouldn't think, right? Like, I mean, how often do production applications insert new libraries once they're to a point where you'd want to do this kind of testing maturity wise? Like, probably not that often, you know. I mean, yeah. really, because you, you're you're you know, once it's mature, it's it's kind of a thing to add new libraries and definitely a thing to update them. So. I guess um so that's the first thing that comes to mind is CI/CD yeah, speed speed might not be as much of an issue here but then um there was another thing that I was thinking about is like there's almost you know how we have the uh I, I don't know people people I found out on Twitter through Twitter that uh people um have different uh thoughts on OSI layer versus there's like another Simpler version of it, I forget the name. Um, Sorry, when I when I went through early networking and when you went through early early networking, the OSI, it's the the seven layers. The please do not throw, yeah, you know all that. That that was uh, that was a um, that was the standard. There were there were no competing standards. But anyways, I digress because I'm about to go off on a tangent. Anyways, coming back to, I kind of envision there's almost, I've been thinking about this, there's almost like layers, like an OSI layer within an application, right? Because you've got you've got often your libraries, but those libraries might have low level, like C or whatever uh, code. So that's like, it's almost like your different layers, like starting with the lowest level, which is like maybe C or whatever, and then abstracting a little bit higher above that to the libraries and then abstracting even further into the app, the base layer application, libraries. So that would be like your Express or your Sinatra or your uh, Pyramid or what, whatever, right? Um, different kind of uh, frameworks, middleware, whatever you want to call it. Going up a bit higher is then the layer that is your your developer written uh, first party code. And the fuzzing that occurs at each one of those, it should look different, right? It should, it should To me, it should look pretty different. So like, what I mean by that is, Um, your, your C-level stuff should be fuzzing, right? Which is fuzzing in the sense of looking for like buffer overflows and things of that nature. Uh, memory, memory handling issues, maybe race conditions, whatever stuff. I don't, I don't know, but like, we'll just say that's one layer. The next is your, uh, your library usage. Um, that may be a different set of fuzzing as well I, I really it's kind of hard to say it probably depends on the library and what it's doing um so this comes when I think of this it, it comes to mind like the uh the image magic stuff right like where yeah. you can get rcs through image magic when it resizes an image thing, things like that or like one of the other crazy bones that it had um so then that's that's another layer and then fuzzing like let's say on the middleware layer of an application that just runs it right so then you, you've you got requests that um, maybe you're trying to like throw a different type of fuzzing suite of tests, which are like maybe overly long requests or just fuzzing with different type forms of data in like headers and things like that, that really you're looking to tell service or crash or, or just create like unexpected ways of, of behavior in the application. Right. I think, I think. Yeah. And then, yeah. And then maybe also there's like the components of it generating cookies and things like that. Like what happens if I th- throw a malformed, I guess it's still a header, but anyways, you, you get my point. And then the first party code, which is now fuzzing. This is the fuzzing that is more considered usually typically the appsec part of things, right? Like the more traditional appsec stuff, which is the insecure direct object reference, the missing function access control, remote code execution, style vulns, LFI, RFI, um, Traversal, whatever, right, those kind of traditional vulnerabilities that we look for, so anyways, if that sounds like nonsense, sorry, but that's kind of how I've been thinking about layers of an application and then fuzzing, yeah, well, and, oh, and- what's all this chatter going on <laughs> it's in slack what's going on there <laughs> no
1: um the like from a fuzzing perspective and you know, this is one of the things that I went, you know, that was a number of years ago that I was talking about like the different like you know the unit testing that we do from a security perspective, right? Like is is, is pretty immature and I still feel like the space is fairly immature as far as full coverage goes and property testing, um, you know, and actually having you know full requirements and uh, things built out before we actually get to the testing portion, right? Um, we're just not a very mature industry because it moves so quickly. Um, development and security, like security, has to move at spe- the speed of development, and so we've uh, we've fine tuned our tools into very specific like categories of vulnerabilities, and that's where we start to miss some of those edge cases where you know hey maybe there is a buffer overflow that slips through and we're just passing along large amounts of data to a specific library that's written in c that ends up you know causing us some sort of an issue on our web application right like that that's where those sorts of vulnerabilities start to pop up and it's not always going to be the easiest testing framework to put together and so i you know i kind of look at this fuzz testing uh, to Cole's point, and uh, to you know, to other points as well, or other people, as further on in the development pipeline, um, it's not going to be. You're not going to want to run full fuzz tests against a developed code that hasn't gone through functional testing or integration testing yet, um, because it's not to the point that you uh, that you may that you. It's not stable enough, right? Like there's got to be a certain level of stability with the code before you actually throw these fuzz tests against it uh, to see how things respond. And it doesn't mean it's always going to drop something out, but you would be surprised at the different projects that we've fuzz tested in the past, especially on the uh, kind of the blockchain cryptocurrency um, side of things and where they just drop, you know, yeah, like w- with anything, like any level of strange characters or, you know, network traffic that's unexpected um, because they
0: haven't been developed with that in mind. So. So to Juan's point uh, about, yeah. so are you saying to only fuzz production, I actually took it more <laughs> as you saying, you, you saying there's a certain level of maturity an application needs to reach. And you mentioned it through fun- what you said was functional testing first and, things of that nature. So that's how I took that. It was more, maybe I'm completely missing the point, but uh, in this totally possible, but I think what you're saying (laughs) is if you don't have proper coverage and linting and functional tests and all of that in place, it's probably not time. Your code's probably not at a state yet where it's even working well enough to consider the security ramifications of uh, using it or or running production so i yeah. could be wrong yeah, yeah maybe
1: yeah i i wonder if I, I think Juan was trying to be a little tongue in cheek there right like probably know, fuzzing <laughs> fuzzing production um yeah i'm but, terrible with
0: but, with that kind of picking up on those cues uh, yeah i you know so
1: <laughs> that's okay that's okay also it's, text is kind of uh, hard to get that yep, context it from, is but yeah yeah it is but you know i i mean honestly if your if your company can take it, go for it, right like you know if they're willing to let you fuzz in production um, yeah uh that being said, if you work for a financial or a healthcare company, probably don't you know fuzz in production uh the the unintended consequences can be pretty large when it comes to that um, yeah, denial I mean, of services is, is a thing yeah
0: do huh? we think that most do we think that most staging environments add? adequately mimic production these days? I mean, I, I do, but I don't know what other people are seeing.
1: Uh, no.
0: No, what's the, what's the, cause I feel like, you know, I'm, my, my, my experience is probably more pre-GitHub, right? Um, and so I see a lot of what happens obviously from the inner workings of GitHub, but guess you would have a perspective this is a consultant who deals with a lot of organizations do you see yeah i I, I, see what what do you see as a gap between those two environments
1: um i mean the biggest thing is just capacity right um capacity and data uh like it and and to be completely fair with these organizations um you you really don't need the same level of capacity in your staging environment as you do in production. Um, but in staging in general, I still see a lot of um, very limited data, uh, not even like realistic data when it comes down to it. So it's, it's very hard to replicate what's going on in production when you don't have, you know, the same number of records, the same number of, um, or the same kind of data in both environments. Um, and that doesn't mean that we we necessarily want to pull you know private information into staging environments that more, you know, that people have access to because it does increase in exposure. And there are tools that are out there that'll that'll help you normalize that sort of behavior. But I still see quite a few environments where it's just, hey, we stand up staging as another Docker instance and or you know, Kubernetes, whatever, right? Like and it only lives for a little bit. We do our tests, and then we shut it back down um but it is using a limited stack and it's not as extensive right um and then I have what organizations does that mean, though in
0: practical terms
1: I, really, it's the capacity issue that I run into, right, like the data capacity and the you know um the being able to test. See, you know, if you really want to run a fuzz test against an application, it's got to run on similar hardware or, you know, with similar specs as something that is.
0: Um, oh, right. So this is a from a fuzzing.
1: Yes. I, I I probably should have caveated that. That's, you know, that's how I took your question. Cause we were talking about fuzzing. Yeah. The, this, I, my bad. Know. I
0: should have been more specific. Cause I was wondering if there's like, if they're like, oh, we have, I don't know, some set of products on production only that we wouldn't run in staging or like we use a provider in a certain way like I don't know like Cloudflare or whoever in a certain yeah. way that wouldn't be I do the same as um yeah
1: yeah I and I do see that especially like third party service integration whether it's email SMS um access into like Credit card processing, whatever, right? Like whatever third parties are used by the application, that typically isn't wired up properly. I can't tell you the number of times I can't fully test authentication flows because uh, their staging test instances aren't even hooked up to email, right? They won't even send those out, right? And I'm oh. like, it's, these are fairly critical security pieces, and that that's probably where I I have the biggest problems when i'm doing testing with a lot of these organizations is they just uh you know oh well we're not too worried about it because they can go into the box or whatever on the system itself and open it up to pull out the you know whatever email that was being sent right and i'm like guys that's not like this is ah well, right of course like,
0: password's not a not an important part of authentication right
1: yeah
0: yep or registration and I, I mean, I mean it,
1: yeah and i know this is one that like you know I'm sure Justin, you know, if I pulled him in here, he'd have the same complaint, you know, as me. It's one that we've been dealing with. And that's probably why it's top of mind right now, and I'm shaking my head as we've dealt just, with it. At least
0: Justin yeah. is Justin Larson, who works with Seth at uh Red Point Security, the company that Seth owns. Uh so just just so everybody has context on who yeah. Justin is.
1: Yeah, that's who Justin is. I'm I'm sure he'll appreciate me uh, you know, talking about him. He doesn't like to be like pulled into the spotlight too much.
0: No, he's so like <laughs> Uh spotlight. Yeah, anyways.
1: <laughs> yeah. Um but yeah, it's been like within the last six months, I can I can think back and a handful of times that we've had environments set up like test environments where we, like authentication has been very difficult to test because of issues like that, right? Whether it's whether it's SMS, whether it's, you know, however they're doing those authentication flows, or they haven't set up the integrations with Okta properly for a full test um so you can't test oauth you can only test username and password right like and so it it becomes this man like we're we're not building these environments in a true like non prod staging way that allows for proper security testing doesn't mean that we can't look at the code but at the very least it does hamper hamper those efforts right
0: yeah I man that's, that's uh yeah yeah, basically that's kind of what you're doing. If you're not, uh, yeah, if you're, if you're only testing in prod, um, I, I, I've, I've never been a fan of testing production. Um, and, and not because of, uh, it's it doesn't, it's not valuable. I think it's, I mean, obviously it's very valuable, but it comes with so many, so many issues. Um, I've talked about them on the yeah. podcast before, but definitely had tools that didn't do anything, weren't, I mean, nothing they did were like the the time, I've talked about this before where like we spidered an application and because they had, you know, delete record, uh, delete record actions that were basically just, not basically, they were just get request hyperlink. So obviously if you're spidering it's just going to ask for a hyperlink. and If you do a state changing destructive action like that and a get request and you kind of get what you, uh, <laughs>
1: deserve, what you deserve there.
0: Yeah. But, uh, <laughs> in any case um don't like doing that don't like being on those calls don't like getting the midnight hey uh we you dropped xyz yeah we can back it up or had backed it up but it's going to be xyz hours and ramifications hate that hate that stuff so it's like yeah it's very valuable to test in production but every, i think a lot of us hate it because it just comes with so much baggage and drama and caveats and it also makes the, the business typically very nervous too, and so you could argue yep. for at length on why on resiliency and all this stuff. But at the end of the day, it sucks to deal with, and nobody wants to have those conversations. So, yeah, I,
1: yeah. I like I I much prefer that. Um, okay, we test in stage, even with these problems, and then when I do butt up against something that I can't either prove out or we need to validate in production, then we can go do it there. Right. Um, but mm. the, the automated tools, the automated fuzzing, the automated scanning, because of those implications and because of the experiences that you and I have had in the past, whew, yeah, it, it's always a, you know, let's let, let's take a step back. Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. Sorry. He made me laugh. I, I looked down and I saw that comment about chat GPT. <laughs> which was a uh, chat gpt what is yellow sec only tested prod for absolute truths i love it absolute <laughs> yes. absec truths truth yes <laughs> uh, so maybe we should talk about chat gpt then ken what I what is so chat dumb. gpt i feel so dumb uh talking about it um yeah i mean it's pretty cool though i mean it's open ai right open, uh, open ai is creation i think right um I'm saying, right. Cause I actually, I don't remember. I, th- I thought I was yeah. OpenAI AI, which obviously OpenAI is who Copilot partnered up with for the, for the co product. Um, uh-huh. and, uh, anyways, uh, it's pretty cool to see, like I've seen some crazy stuff. I know there's an article you're going to post up, but, uh, beyond that, I saw, gosh, I fr- well, people have been using it to like generate all kinds of stories and interesting things. Um, poems stories descriptions of things um it's it's kind of crazy because it like okay a couple years ago someone had asked me about the the feasibility of oh gosh what was it it was like um of of ai uh giving giving poor code recommendations on sites like Stack Overflow to negatively impact uh security-centric libraries. Like uh just it was like a theoretical question, right? Um and I said, you know, today, like maybe in the future, but like today, absolutely not. Like it's it's very, very clear uh that you're that you're talking to a machine. It's it's a lot, of, there's gobbledygook and nonsense sprinkled in there. But even like the better stuff a couple of years ago was like for the most part, there were still markers that you could, you could, uh, pinpoint for this being not a, not a human being. Um, and then the, the scary part of this is now, I don't know that that's true anymore. I mean, honestly, I don't feel like, I'm yeah. sure there's limitations and I'm sure that somebody much smarter than me knows exactly how to find those markers and patterns. Um, that have not been said just by using human eyeballs. Um, yeah. It's, it's scary. Like in that way. Anyways. Well, yeah. Let's well, hear that's, your thoughts. I,
1: <laughs> yeah. I, I mean this article and this, this popped up, somebody else asked me about it, like when it first started. Right. Um, and like it, it, it's concerning. Right. So the article that I posted specifically jumps into generating phishing emails, right. Using open AI chat. And like they're, I, I mean, you know, from the article from that Richard Osgood or whatever it is, right? Like that was shockingly good. Right. And he's right. Um, the first request to just ask open AI or the chat bot to write an email offering or recipient a chance to win a $50 gift card if they click a link. Right. Yeah. 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 I, Yeah. You know, I mean, it's not wow. that hard to craft for, for you or I to create something like that. But that is, that's like when I've created like uh, previous phishing campaigns in the past, right? For testing purposes, this is exactly what I do. Like this is, these are the thought processes that I'm going through is, okay, you know, what does the email from Google look like when you need to reset your password, right? Like, or, you know, whatever it is, like what is the link that needs to, you know, what does that need to look like where does that need to actually be structured and if we can do this in an automated fashion it's going to speed up fraud but it uh, like I, on the flip side i almost feel like it could speed up protection as well though right um so oh, yeah. the code that's that's coming out of there right and that was the other one that i posted hold on i'm trying to fi- figure that oh but you know i should i should post this one right like we the should the security
0: boulevard now. one right that's the one you're talking yeah. about i have the link i can post it yep here posted it there and then in general this one is the one that just blew my freaking mind and i can't stop thinking about it um wait what did that come out like that
1: okay all right i think i fixed it
0: yeah cool yeah
1: yep yep yep
0: um
1: and and this is what i've actually been more interested in i've seen quite a bit of these right i've seen these from the finance side of things like People designing scripts to actually make money on the stock market based on the current trends, like monitoring what's going on in the stock market. Oh crap! And that, hey, yeah, there you go. Um, and it, it and this 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 goes for all of kind of like automated functionality that we have, and um, user decisioning, like human decisioning that goes into some of these processes. Um, we're going to be replaced, right? Like it's going to be more spot checks onto what the AI is actually doing, uh, but we're be- going to become more and more dependent on it for protection, for making money, for creating code. Um, and that's uh, that's not to be to say that it's always going to be correct, but I think it's it's getting to the point that it's going to be more correct than it is. Where it's going to have more success than it is failure, which is going to be a a constant feedback loop. Right. Um, Yeah. It's, it, it's pretty wild. Right.
0: I would agree. I mean, like, um, hold on, let me, uh, let me share this because visually this is just freaking wild. So hold on. Um, Let me share my screen here. Present. Share screen, window, what chapt? GPT. Cool. Yeah. So that right there. Specifically, let me highlight this code here. This is nuts. So guys, this is cool. Like, folks, this is crazy. They asked for a sample PHP exploit of mass assignment, right? So mm-hmm. presumably, I guess this, I don't know what it what it did to like. Maybe I mean probably nothing, right? Like it probably just guessed. But imagine if you had access to know these what these columns are for, like each um, uh, model that you're dealing with. So this would be like a user table slash model. The same thing, right? Models table. Anyways, these are column values: username column, password column, admin. Anyways, imagine if you like if your tooling knew what columns existed for each table. Uh, this is wild, right? It has an endpoint it wants to send a request to, and then it's just going to be able to, like, it, it just immediately knew to, like, throw in that um, additional column value with a true value uh, to, you know, mass assign your... Basically, the idea being you, you're, like, I don't know, signing up or adding a user or whatever, and you're only supposed to know about these two things and submit those, but you, you do this to, to... Like, that's what mass assignment is, right? You send an additional column uh value in and then it just becomes attached to that record which is basically this makes you an admin that's what i'm trying to say and i think that is freaking wild that is amazing that's incredible like to, to to see something that is you know accurately generating a php mass assignment vulnerability example is super cool like that is also very scary but that is very cool um and so yeah. if I'm a bug bounty researcher, I'm definitely looking at what I do with ChatGPT, GPT, chat, chat GPT, and then wiring it up, whatever payloads it generates to probably, you know, I don't know, some sort of nuclei or I don't know, whatever, some sort of scanning engine uh, zap or, or whatever. Um, and anyways, I think it's really dope. I think it's really cool. So yeah, just wanted to share that. That's super cool.
1: Well, look, okay. So like on the flip side, right. Um, yeah. I just asked it to generate, uh, you know, create me some Python code to prevent uh, cross-site scripting. Right. Um, and yeah, sanitized input. It's actually got like a test <laughs> string in there for me. Right. Like, and then it, it did this in, you know, yeah, all of, like, 20 seconds, whatever it is. Uh, now, you could probably find the same thing. I, you know, I don't know if this is what I would recommend directly to developers, right? Like, um, But on the flip side, like, how do you exploit XSS against a Python Django application, right?
0: Right. Yeah.
1: Okay, so it's going to give me some explanation of what this is. Um, let's find the website for... For example,
0: yeah,
1: okay. I I mean this is good just like background, right? Oh (laughs) Um, jeez,
0: that's amazing. Yeah, it's actually true. Yeah.
1: And and it even goes in to prevent this type of attack, right? So this is the kind of stuff that you and I like would we we need to make make an OWASP
0: top ten out of out of chat with chat chat GPT. That's what we need to do. Just like what yeah, like we'll just do that for each one of the cat, like boom done yeah and dusted yeah
1: done and dusted, yeah. <laughs> dusted. record it and you know <laughs> os top 10 with chat gpt right like I, but it, yeah. but it like th- this is all valid whoa uh-oh
0: exceptionally high demand i don't I doubt it this is yeah yeah the coolest thing ever so that's very cool man like, like i said yeah. that the i mean the 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 usage or the uh the various ways that you could, the use cases, I'm, I'm trying to say, man, I just, I don't know if I didn't have enough coffee or what the use cases are limitless, frankly, and not just in security. I mean, obviously, but within application security, I don't know, man, it's going to be, it's going to be a wild world soon. It already is. Right. So it's going to get crazier yeah. and crazier. That's what you need to do. Start using chat GPT to create like uh fuzz payloads for like old things that have been around for 24 for 40 years, whatever. whatever and whatever uh, it is. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then see what happens. Cool. That's amazing. That's awesome.
1: Yeah. And so uh now I'm at it is not a oh sweet. <laughs> um, I should have just kept showing this, right? Like, share it, share it, throw it up. <laughs> oh, dang it. Uh now, now, like that's all I'm gonna do for the rest of the day is play with chat.
0: <laughs> I know, man. It's pretty awesome. Do they uh, um, Oh yeah. Yeah.
1: So I asked what payload should I use to bypass authentication in a web application? It is not appropriate or ethical to attempt to bypass authentication.
0: <laughs> Don't tell me what's ethical, robot. <laughs> yeah.
1: Instead of attempting, you should focus on understanding how authentication works and how to properly implement it. Interesting, Dude, right?
0: Like that's so yeah. crazy.
1: Yeah. Uh, Additionally, you should never store sensitive information It's your passwords in plain text. So, I, I mean, there's some sort of like ethical boundary that's going on here as well, right? Like, um, yeah, they're this trying is, to get
0: rid of the script kiddies.
1: Yeah, which is great, right? Like, there should at least be some sort of, um, you know, you know, process in there. Like, I don't, I don't, I haven't necessarily read through all the team terms of service or like what it is. Like, you probably can't ask it or you're not supposed to use it to do anything malicious. Right. Like just in general. Yeah. But I mean, yeah. Whew. Okay. Anyway, that was, that was amazing. Right. Like that was, uh, it is not appropriate or ethical to attempt to bypass authentication a web application. Thanks bot. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I think we could spend quite a bit of time just digging through and throwing examples at it to see what 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 comes out. Um, but go play with it if you haven't yet, right? Like you know, Google Chat GPT or go to OpenAI and see what pops out for you.
0: Yeah, uh, and I let mean, us know. It's, it's jump not... in, jump,
1: just jump into chat. Say that again.
0: Yeah, I mean, I did maybe think of this, which, man, like I don't know if this is even where we want. It. I, I probably, I'll just keep it brief. <laughs> it last week, I think it was last week or maybe it was over the weekend. I saw this article too about, which made I don't know, like all the, all the AI stuff is making me think about this too, which are the, um, the, the headlines, like, I mean, obviously trying to get you to, it's more sensationalized than this, but it, it says killer robot, killer robots have landed on the Ukrainian battlefield. But, um, I think what's interesting about it besides the fact of that title was, um, basically the idea is they're starting to use, um, truly autonomous, um, you know, m- m- equipment, um, in the battlefield that has, you know, stuff that can kill things attached to it. And, uh, what's interesting about that, I think is, um, I was reading that, um, basically the second anything goes like, there's always collateral damage and more. Right. And, uh, that's just, you know, kind of how it goes. Um, and in this case there's a lot on the line because if if they accidentally or whatever go over the line and if those if somehow one of those um bots uh um uh, what is it uh uh Geneva code or G- Geneva convention if they violate the Geneva convention then it could set a precedent um that those those machines can't be used ever um it's like anyways part part of the argument against it uh, besides just it being frightening so i guess what i'm trying to say is i think next year we're gonna see the terminator uh skynet's gonna rise man i think that's i think that's what's gonna happen between Skynet. chat gpt and <laughs> <GTA>. ukraine <laughs> uh, it's yep, all fun yep, and games now in game. <laughs> yeah, it's all fun and
1: games now the true nihilist is starting to come out in you can right? like that's, yeah. that's where we're going yeah
0: it's always yeah. there i just push it back heavily um well but it's, it's interesting right this is a new world dude this is like yeah it's wild it's wild we live in a wild time but realistically
1: this is what this is going to be what's what's going to happen <laughs> right <laughs> you hey, um, <I> know right <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> two hours coding six hours debugging as opposed to generating code in jet gpt for five minutes and then 24 hours of debugging yes that that yeah, that does feel appropriate good. right yeah that's probably more of of what it's going to be i mean it's it's this is it right for now yeah it's not going to do away with like development jobs or right like if anything it's probably going to increase productivity similar to what like copilot is doing as well right like we're moving into that space where we may not have to know exactly where the semicolon fits in order for the the code to be compiled right it can be helpful and there's always going to be a place for it. But we're going to get away from that, which is also going to give us this is the one thing that like is fascinating to me and as actually makes me very optimistic is it's going to free us into making more like artful decisions and becoming more of true kind of. Uh, I, I, yeah, I don't know. I, I want to quote, code artists instead of just like code, you know, programmers. Right. Hard You're going to sense. get to certain levels. Yeah. It's you're going to get to a specific level where putting together those pieces in an efficient way is going to become an art form or is going to become the engineering practice as opposed to just, you know, just hammering away at a keyboard for 24 hours a day or whatever it is. Right. For eight hours a day. Um, And so that that, and that should allow us to actually think about use cases and uh, how we can apply. Technology to problems in different ways than we 've done in the past because we 're not going to be so focused on technology implementations as we are going to be at, on how technology can assist in doing X, y, and Z because um, you think about how much time we do spend on specifics of hey how do re- how do HTTP requests and responses work you know going back to that previous conversation that we had, how do we actually see that, how do we tear that apart? Um, and what are the technology limitations that we're dealing with, if we have something like an AI that can bypass those for us, we're going to get through over those technology hurdles faster, which is going to get us to the point that we're actually helping out and we're solving problems quicker than we did in the past. So, I, I mean, I think there's a good side to this as well. It's not all doom and gloom as long as we apply the technology properly.
0: I mean, between... Between the cloud infrastructure um, and and like Terraform things like that that allow you to deploy a uh, whole infrastructure with just a, a bit of code. Um, between the advances of uh, in, in like developer workflows for like I think of things like Code Spaces where you know you no longer have to uh, have to uh, have your everybody have the same local dev environment set up and and have to you know futz with scripts to like get that to work right you just spin it up in code spaces um and then now some of these new like you could you could generate a lot of uh sort of like uh to your point um base layer kind of code where it's, it's not it's just like you're abstracting away a lot of the like uh the stuff that is not that interesting to write, right, that you you just basically have as a foundational mm-hmm. element, um, you, you really, you've just taken away a bunch of jobs there. You don't, you don't need nearly yeah. the amount of people to build infrastructure, to deploy code, to maintain code, to maintain the environments where code's written, and to even write the code itself. So I guess what I'm saying is, I'm going to start learning woodworking or <laughs> some other kind of career, that doesn't involve computers, because I see where the future's headed. I'm not going to have a job. You're not going to have a job. You're gonna have a job. Software <laughs> devs aren't going to have a job. You know, it's it's me. <laughs>
1: You're gonna <laughs> well, have to a, a, Yeah. <laughs> they,
0: they were telling everybody, "Hey, you need to learn how to to, to write software." You know. uh, <laughs> that worked in factories and stuff like that. And I think now it's, it's going to go the opposite way, right? Uh, you have to start learning some other skills. Now, all jokes aside, it is crazy now how, you know, a one to three person shop can accomplish what, say, a 20 person shop could accomplish before. So yep. Yep. these tools are awesome, but they definitely, you know, it, it means that the cost of developing software and all of that seems to be um, potentially lesser in the future, is I guess what I'm trying to say, so. Yeah. it's it's interesting there's a little so you bring up good points
1: yeah i i mean and that's i i mean the cost of innovation that's and the cost of progress right like that's that's always been the case since you know i mean yeah industrial revolution hmm. is like we we come up with better techniques, we come up with better ways of doing things that doesn't require as much human involvement and yes there is a loss of jobs and we've got to adjust and you know move to whatever is new um or be left behind right that's a, you know being a luddite doesn't necessarily make you a lot of money or you know it doesn't necessarily help you support your family when it comes down to it um and even though that is something that you understand, but I know you and I both have knowledge that we gained coming up in the industry that is probably useless at this point, because, you know, the products that we were using have gone away. They were subsumed. Um, Like they're no longer supported, right? Like, you know, there's, there's all sorts of stuff that you and I used to have to do on a daily basis that now, like it's a, it's a checkbox in, you know, AWS that does the same thing. And know yeah it sucks if that's the only job that you have or that's the only like skill um but if you had the skill to do it at that point you know it's a matter of just learning and stepping into it so get familiar with the ai as it's stepping into it play with co-pilot because it it honestly it's the future we see it coming right Mm. all right yeah, i um Okay. I, I did want to get to this before we, we dropped off for today. I know we're at you know we're at about an hour here. I have another but... 15 minutes
0: before my next meeting if you wanna okay. oh, sweet. delve into okay. it.
1: So um it was just the uh, the question that I had at the at the very beginning when we started talking about the episode today. What do you wish for an appsec Christmas, Ken?
0: Oh man. Um You didn't
1: know I was gonna ask you that, huh? right? What, what, what do you hope happens in the next year, right? In application security, I think is, is probably where it, what the real question is.
0: I'm biased. I'm biased. Okay. I know what I want, but, but, uh, but it's it's yeah. going to be very biased um, and heavily skewed towards my own interests. So what I will say is I am very interested in securing code that ships on a daily basis because um right now the way that it's been done typically we're still very much in a waterfall methodology as appsec practitioners and if you think i'm wrong about that let's talk through it because what do you do do you do every day code reviews of every single code change that's occurring you probably use some tools how how good do you feel about your tools um and I think that there's a lot to be tackled that has high impact there, um, which is, again, I don't wanna go too far into to, to that, but uh, anyways, that's what I'm looking for. Forward to is working on problems like that um, because most of the time the way it, it works is you, you just get a code base and you, you look at either the entire code base because it's brand new, or maybe you're looking at a feature that has gone through some heavy development And then that's a point in time at which you're looking at it, which is my friends, a gate. And it is very much a waterfall methodology. So I think that's an important one. Um, It's pretty, it's pretty, uh, it's, it, there's a lot of bounty researcher found preventable vulnerabilities that occur because of these frequent code uh, updates in everybody's code bases that maybe don't have the best coverage. So that's probably a big one um, for me. What about you?
1: Ooh. um, You know, like I've been thinking about this the last couple of days, right? Um, right, Like what I actually want to see in the industry. Um, One thing that pops up is I want to see less focus on specific edge case vulnerabilities and more focus on... Actual security principles, right? Like um, from the from information security, but from application security and product security specifically, right? We spend so much time in um, branded vulnerabilities, log, like like log for J, as we wear these, you know, as or, you know, yeah, as we wear these sweatshirts. But we spend so <laughs> much time focused on um, on edge cases. Instead of core principles, and I think uh, you know uh, you know it, as I'm embedded with different organizations as I'm talking to developers, it's not necessarily their fault because the way that we throw vulnerabilities at them is very much a hey the the bug bounty researchers found this one edge case where they can do cross site scripting go fix fix this one edge case as opposed to having a discussion a larger discussion on input validation across the whole product. And I mean, I think it goes back to exactly what you're talking about as well is this waterfall methodology that we've fallen into that, you know uh, that we do as application security, product security engineers, right. Is um, we just don't have the capacity to realistically uh, deal with code on a daily basis. So, you know, my wish is that we would stop talking so much about specific vulnerabilities um at without referencing the overarching um security principle behind it and how people can approach those as well
0: yeah Yeah, i I think that's that's valuable that's valuable insight um i know somebody else here mentioned that they wanted to be invited to early meetings of product development design for christmas (laughs) wanted Um, That would be helpful.
1: Yes. Yeah.
0: I I will say it um, at GitHub, we're actually working on a shift left strategy to address that same thing where it's like, we'd like to more uniformly get ahead of those. So it's not just you. Everybody wants to be a part of those. I think that's a, again, that's very valuable insight is that, yeah, I think being aware of not just products that are shipping early on, but also being uh, included in those conversations so that you can give design feedback up front um or have input on the design rather uh mainly because man dude it's hard when you get to these threat models and you say well this is pretty risky like you need to make this architectural change like well it's too late you know all decisions have been made things have been bought designs are now in action motion and uh there's no changing course so what can we do to mitigate something that is now going to be considered for from here on out in that service uh you know, uh, risky and inher- has uh, inherent risk to it. So yeah. anyways, you're not alone one. That's what I'm trying to say. I'm, yeah. I'm with you on there. And then he, he also brings up secure by default
1: as well. Right. Um, the one true like, framework, like, the one true framework, where's Manico, where's Jim, right? Like he told me we were going to get, we're going to get to the one true framework, right? Like, yeah, it'll never happen. It'll never it's, happen yeah it's there's always going to be unless you have somebody
0: who writes it for literally every language and that people like and then you make the framework Oh yeah, i shouldn't say it no it could never happen it's very unlikely that it would ever happen and then it's 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 a zero percent chance everybody would use the one framework uh yeah yeah. so and it's also a zero percent chance that one framework would like not also then have its own like security people aren't like to be clear, even if you have a really good eye for security, if you're writing code, you're now using a different skill set and it's not, I mean, I've introduced vulnerability. I'll admit it like whatever, maybe I suck, but I've, I've definitely introduced a couple of vulnerabilities in my time writing code. Um, just very, I mean, not like easy to see ones, but ones that were like, Oh, the framework behaves differently than I thought kind of stuff or, um, uh, Right. Like very, very edge casey things, but it happens nevertheless. So it's like, even if you have one, one framework, there's no guarantee you would actually stay secure forever.
1: Yep. Yeah. And I don't know. And I always go back to um, the old code as well, right? Like, you know, that's great. We come up with the one true framework, but we still have ping that's out there that's been there for 40 years. (laughs) Yeah. Um, we're, we'd still depend on mainframes for a lot of like business processing and financial transactions, right? That code is over, you know, it's 50 years old in some cases, if not more. Uh, yeah. Good luck. Right. Like converting any of that, even to code that was written 20 years old 20 years ago has been a huge, huge investment and problem and uh, getting to the one true framework, getting to the, the secure frame, framework, even if it is truly secure in the way that they think um, just uh, it's not going to. Yeah. <laughs> I Yeah. I'm with you. I'm a nihilist when it comes to that, it's not going to happen. Um, I think we're getting better. Definitely. Right. Uh, but there's always going to be issues, especially when with the hard problems like authorization, authentication, you know, take your pick. Yeah, absolutely. Well, good. Yeah. 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 Uh, oh. Well, good deal. Uh, yeah, I think that about sums it up for this week, right? Um, unless there's anything else that you want to talk about before we got to jump off, I know where I do. We're, we're Just real there. briefly,
0: I want to mention. Yeah, sorry, I want to mention yeah. a couple. Um, so first, first uh, because you mentioned Cole, um, I did want to mention Cole's podcast, which is the uh, Secured Podcast. So, uh, shout out and love to Cole's podcast there. Also. You mentioned this, uh, and I'm glad you reminded me because I definitely want to talk about this, was the 404 podcast started by Leaf and a few others. Um, uh, basically, uh, Leaf has been on the podcast before, um, you know, knowledgeable, knows a lot of, knows a lot of players, know a lot, a lot of like in the app sex space, There's a lot about um, the problem space as well. Uh, so I guess what they do is they, they take their time, they kind of review news that's come out, Probably similar in a way. I mean, sometimes it's if it's important will take a couple of days to analyze a story, but a lot of times we're just riffing off the cuff. Uh, they're doing a bit more homework. Um, and so there's a lot of value there. And I'm a big believer in, in that um, uh, you know, like the more people contributing the better. So um, anyways, 404 podcast. Uh, and then just constant reminder, uh TLDR sec exists, it's awesome. You should uh, be reading it. And yeah, that's it.
1: Yep. Uh, Yeah. I did want to, I didn't mean to forget about leaf and will and Travis over there. They've all been on the pot on our podcast before. So, you know, I'm (laughs) sure there'll be some collaboration with them, Um, but they're, they are doing a great job with that. And yeah, but otherwise jump on to Slack, join the conversation love to have you. Um, there's a lot going on. Thanks for all the feedback today and all the, the chatter, uh, makes it very enjoyable for what Ken and I do. So, um, yeah, otherwise we'll see everybody next week for a very special Christmas episode. I guess we'll see what we, we decide we want to do before Christmas. So.
0: Absolutely. Um, yeah, thanks everybody. And, uh, well, I don't know what else to say, man. Happy holidays. I, are we, are we yeah. back on next Tuesday? Yeah, we can be. I mean, I, okay, cool. All right. I just, so my schedule's good now. So, all right, cool. So next Tuesday we should see y'all. So before the, uh, the holiday break, we'll say.
1: Yep. For our very special chat GPT OWASP top 10. <laughs>
0: it's just going to be us reading a teleprompter made by chat GPT. <laughs> yep. <laughs> <laughs> With eggnog.
1: With eggnog, spiked eggnog at that, yeah oh, a hundred percent,
0: yeah, no, cool, all right, y'all, sweet, all right, <laughs> have a going? good one,
1: bye.